G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you may appreciate from history, when tyranny reaches a saturation point, leaders try not just to silence their opposition, but to eliminate them as enemies. When we remember the 20th century, a number of serious events come to mind where mass atrocities took the form of what some people will say is an ethnic cleansing. Others will use other different terminology, and there may be some specific ways to be able to, uh, in fact, define those. But some will say genocide. And genocide is a word that you would use when you remember the Jewish Holocaust, where Nazis took 12 million lives. China's industrial uh, cultural revolution, that saw up to 80 million killed. And more recently, back in 1994, up to 800,000 died in ethnic cleansing when the Hutus invaded northern Rwanda, killing the Tutsis. The scale of brutality shocks the world. And what may be worse is that there are incidents where the perpetrators of genocide deny their involvement, as is the case of the Armenian genocide and what is happening now in the, in the place, in the case of the Uyghur people in China. In the Armenian genocide, the nation of Turkey continues to deny even today their involvement in the massacre of up to 1.5 million Armenians who were deported on death marches leading to the Syrian desert. So a discussion today about why we remember atrocities and genocides. And perhaps it is so that they won't happen again, or perhaps it's so we can prepare for what the future holds. Well, our special guest today, Ashley Saunders, is CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Barnabas Fund works to provide hope and aid for the persecuted church from Christians to Christians through Christians. Ashley Saunders is a peacemaker and a peace builder supporting the persecuted church. Ashley Saunders, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be with you and great to be with your listeners today. Ashley, let's talk as we get the conversation underway in a general sense or a big picture sense. Uh, we can talk about the genocides, the atrocities of the 20th century and even up to present day. Some people will say, well, why would you want to remember those things? What difference does it make? So aren't we just living our lives today in this moment? What about the past and does that have an effect on the future? What are your thoughts for the big picture? Well, the big picture, I think, is that uh, we do live today. We are moving forward into the future, but we're also products of history. And so uh, even in a, in a micro sense, many of your listeners might understand in, in an ancestry sense, I, I want to know something of who I am. I want to know something of what's formed me. And, uh, and whether it's at an individual level, at a family level, or even at a community level, or a national level, what are the things that have helped to form me? What are the things, I guess, that represent baggage? What are the elements in the past that I need to address, maybe that I need to correct? Um, how can I move forward uh, with this tie to the past? And so um, I think there's a very good 
cultural reason why we should do that, but from a biblical perspective, you, you know, um, from a biblical worldview, um, we are all created in the image of God. Uh, those of us who have accepted uh, Jesus Christ as our Savior, uh, we are children of the living God. Uh, we are heirs of all the promises that God made to Abraham. The uh, the apostles make that pretty clear, and uh, and uh, th- there's th- we worship a God of justice. We worship a God of truth. And um, as one of the great peace builders of the 20th century put together, a fellow called John Paul Lederach from the USA, he talked about um, in wanting to get peace, you need to have an intersection of justice and mercy and truth and forgiveness. And uh, it's not just about uh, forgiveness and mercy, but you also need the truth and you need justice. And when those things intersect, there's scope for peace. And so uh, even here in Australia, we are a multicultural um, uh, nation. By that I mean that we're a nation of people from many cultures. And uh, sure, the idea is that we are continuing to build an Australian culture, but we also have what comes from our past. Uh, My mother is half Scottish. My father is Welsh. Um, There's a part of me that is that. And and at a cultural level, at an individual level, I think we need to deal with the past in order to move forward into the future that God has for us. We are going to talk about the Armenian genocide more focused in a more focused way, but let's let's start this conversation, Ashley, by talking about where the Christian worldview, a biblical idea of what's happening in the world, actually fits with an understanding of why these things happen. Because some people will say, "Well, uh, you know, I thought everyone was born good. Uh, I thought everybody was going to get along, and surely people can work things out on their own." That doesn't seem to be the case. How does our Christian worldview fit with the idea that there are those dreadful atrocities that have happened uh, in recent history and in fact throughout the history of the world? And and I'm glad you said throughout the history of the world because they are a factor of history um, and I think that we've become more aware of them in recent years because of mass communication because uh, in a sense the world has got smaller because of uh, the way that news travels and immediate communication and those kinds of things. And so we're more aware of it. But uh, from a biblical worldview, um, we, we see man's inhumanity to man. And uh, it puts a lie to the idea that we are all essentially good and that sometimes good people do bad things. I mean, most, if not all, parents would be aware uh, of a time in a young baby's life when that baby is trying to in a sense, uh, seek its own autonomy. And, uh, and, and I like that word because uh, I use autonomy in the context of sin. Now, sin's not a very popular word, uh, word rather these days, but sin is my attempt to live uh, an autonomous existence apart from God. And uh, that results from a biblical worldview in breaking down all manner of relationships and uh, that impacts families and it impacts whole nations. And so I believe firmly that uh, it puts a lie to the opposite view that we're all essentially good. Uh, you know, if there's no such thing as sin, we don't need a saviour. And uh, there is sin. 
um, and uh, and we do need a saviour. And we might then ask, how do we get along and what contribution does a biblical worldview make to that? Because uh, here we are talking about genocides and massacres and with the suggestion here that actually as Christians we ought to be quite excited about the fact that we've got a foundation on which we can build uh, hope for the future because under a Christian understanding we can get along together. Uh, there is something important about that, having Christian faith and being able to address big issues like genocide and atrocities of, of the past. Yes, without a doubt. And uh, and I've already mentioned truth and justice. They are two very important aspects in order to address atrocities, in order to, um, I, I guess, be reconciled. Um, and so again, quote, uh, Paraphrasing John Paul Lederach, he, he he talked about that reconciliation is not just um, about uh, the, the the softer issues of uh, mercy and forgiveness, but you need justice, you need truth. There needs to be a reconciliation based on the reality of what happened, just as um, our reconciliation as Christians with God is based on the reality of Jesus' incarnation, his death and his resurrection. We're going to open up a thought or two on the Armenian people and uh, the genocide of the Armenians, early part of the 20th century. This is something you're especially interested in, Ashley, and uh, some of the good work with the Barnabas Fund, drawing attention to the Armenian people. I wonder if you can, in a nutshell, give us an idea just how significant this particular genocide is that we might be talking about it. This is a very significant genocide, but it's one that uh, few countries around the world have recognised, and Australia is one of the countries as a nation uh, that has not recognised what happened uh, over 100 years ago. And so in the, in the early stages uh, leading up to World War I, uh, it, it's, it's said that some 1.5 million Armenians were killed uh, in the Ottoman Empire in a policy of extermination of Christian minorities. This was, this was a very deliberate policy. Uh, in addition, uh, over 2 million Assyrian, Greek and uh, Syriac Christians were also killed uh, within the Ottoman Empire, and that's between about 1914 and 1923. So in total, uh, it's estimated that close to 4 million Christians were killed uh, in that period. And as to the Armenian population, some 90%. Imagine that. Some 90% uh, of the population uh, disappeared. And, um, and this, is, uh, this is a significant movement. And there are Armenian communities around the world, including here in Australia, uh, who continue to be impacted by that because uh, this, is, uh, this is, you know, my, my grandparents uh, were impacted by that or, you know, my great-grandfather uh, lost so many lives. And there are stories and, uh, and it is important to recognise what happened, to face the truth, in order that we can protect. Now, uh, if I can just give two more reasons why we should re recognise this atrocity. You know, in 1930s Germany, uh, it was Hitler who used the Armenian genocide as part of the discussion of what he was preparing for the Jews. And uh, he basically said, um, no one's going to remember what we do to the Jews, who, after all, he says, uh, speaks today of the annihilation of the Armenians. So some 20 years later, uh, now in our history, um, the fact that the Armenian genocide was forgotten, was not spoken about, was not remembered, uh, was used um, not so much as justification, but in the context of the discussion. Oh, I can do this. No one's going to remember. No one's going to hold me account. After all, who has held account uh, what happened to the Armenians. 
Now, what I think might be a very important part, and uh, takes this even just that shade deeper, is that the Armenian people were a Christian people. I wonder whether you've got any insights there into uh, the way that uh, perhaps this sort of atrocity would have developed because we're talking about the Turkish people who were a uh, part of the, you know, the Ottoman Empire here. Uh, so we've got Islamists who were interested in this cleansing of the Armenian people and they were a Christian people. Any thoughts here? Uh, yes, uh, this was very clearly aimed at uh, taking away from the Ottoman Empire the Christian minorities. And uh, we find similar things happening around the world today. Uh, we find that, uh, uh, that Christians are despised um, and, and despised uh, because of their faith. And now, uh, here in Australia, we, we are experiencing a degree of ostracizing in some circles of Christian worldview and, and so on. Um, but it hasn't got to the point of, of being violent, whereas in some parts around the world it has been and continues to be uh, specifically aimed at removing the Christian influence uh, from this community. That somehow or other, because you identify as a Christian, uh, you are um, anathema, you're to be removed uh, because we don't want you here. I mean, that's, what, that's the sort of thing that's happening in parts of Nigeria. Uh, that's the sort of thing that's happening in other countries as well. And you're working uh, through Barnabas Fund in a whole lot of these different dimensions. So it's not just uh, you know one, uh, one dimension only you're working in uh, particular countries. There's lots of countries around the world. Barnabas Fund, uh, a, hu- a huge uh, organisation that uh, fights on behalf of Uh, the persecuted church around the world. And so when we draw attention to this, we're actually talking about all Christians everywhere who are under some levels of persecution because we're drawing attention to the issue around the Armenians and how they were, in fact, uh, done away with. Now, uh, death marches, uh, the idea of deportation, of ethnic cleansing, sending people off on a death march, uh, starvations along the way, massacres along the way, rapes along the way, all sorts of dreadful things that happened like that, and uh, and all under the radar. Uh, this is an important fact to bring out because uh, so many of the atrocities that we might be able to point to done under the radar, as you say, Adolf Hitler drawing attention to the Armenians. Who's going to remember the Armenians? Who'll remember the Jews? Well, somehow or other, we have to be able to bring these things into uh, into the visibility of the world. Yes, we do. And um, again, to uh, refer to the biblical worldview, uh, you know, Jesus talked about um, uh, the light and, uh, and you need to bring things into the light in order that... Uh, uh, there can be disinfection in order that there can be uh, justice, in order that there can be um, a promising future. Um, and so it's very important. Um, in fact, um, it's only last year that, uh, again, uh, Armenians in Azerbaijan were, were the subject of uh, atrocities and violence. And so when you put together uh, what happened um, at, the t- at about uh, the time of World War I, uh, when you put together with that, the justification that Hitler used when you uh, see what ha- what's happened against Armenians uh, in uh, Azerbaijan only last year. Uh, as a Christian, I say, and I would urge uh, all Christian listeners today to say, um, if we as followers of Jesus don't stand up for these Christians, who else will? Because the answer is, if we don't, no one else will. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. 
Ashley Saunders is our special guest this hour. He's the CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Ashley, there might be all sorts of motives in what happens when there is genocide and uh, ethnic cleansing and all sorts of atrocities that might be committed. And uh, maybe we ought not to jump to conclusions that people in their early political career uh, had any sort of intention that that sort of thing might accompany them. They maybe all got started with some good, uh, healthy motives in the heart uh, in order to uh, move into positions of power in whatever context around the world. And, of course, there are all sorts of ways that we might think that things are different uh, the way different people think. So supposing there was an Islamic motivation for genocide or there may be uh, all sorts of tribal issues, say, in some of those African contexts. But for those who are interested in what even may be affecting uh, the Western world right now, this humanist agenda, the idea that there is no God, we have to do all this on our own, uh, what are your thoughts for motivations that can lead to dreadful outcomes? Well, um, you mentioned the humanist agenda, and uh, and let me be quick to say that um, there are no, there is no history of um, humanists uh, undertaking the sorts of atrocities we were speaking about earlier. But in terms of the humanist agenda, um, it, is, uh, it is an intolerant agenda. Uh, some few years ago, um, our founder, Patrick Sukadeo, wrote a book called The New Civic Religion, which was all about the humanist agenda trying to, uh, as the humanists would say, replace the rotting corpse of Christianity uh, with what they saw as a, a flourishing new faith, that of uh, secular humanism. And uh, they've not been quiet about their agenda. And in fact, um, it was uh, some many years ago now that somebody wrote in the Humanist magazine uh, something along these lines that um, the, w- the war will be waged in the public school classrooms when teachers correctly perceive themselves as the proselytizers of a new religion. And then goes on and talks about secular humanism in this wonderful, wonderful uh, sense. Uh, and, and Christianity he refers to as the rotting corpse. And, uh, and and that agenda they've not been they've not been silent about uh, they've they've been open about it and uh, and in fact as a result of the growing rise of secular humanism as what you might call the de facto civic religion uh, in uh, in Western societies like Australia we, we see as a result of that the decline of uh, of Christianity in the West and yet in other places where where Christians um, are persecuted, and I'll use that expression because many of your listeners would, I guess, identify with that. I, I keep on being asked uh, as a bit of an, a, a sideshow, um, are Christians persecuted in Australia? Well, whether we're persecuted, we're certainly prosecuted, and, and that's the mechanism of the law being used to silence the rest of us. So in places in other countries where Christians really suffer severe uh, oppression or persecution, uh, the church is also growing. Uh, there's a vibrant faith. And, uh, and, and that's to be, uh, I guess, uh, compared to and contrasted with what we're experiencing in the West. Well, isn't it interesting uh, that on the Christian station, uh, we'll hear a reference to the Christian church as the rotting corpse of Christianity. So uh, I think we might even wear that proudly, if that's the criticism that some are going to bring against the church. And uh, we'll wear that as a badge of honour because uh, we are... 
people who are submitting ourselves to God and his purposes and there will be criticisms along the way and when you know that there are people who think of the church like that you know that there are enemies of faith uh, so 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today 1-800-316-316 you can also respond to our question on Facebook which says with modern stories of atrocities and genocide what lessons should we learn from history uh, let's take a call and Jane is on the line from Bunbury in WA hello Jane welcome Hi, how are you? Well, Jane, what are your thoughts for our conversation? Well, I find it very distressing and uh, very alarming and, and it's um, interesting because a girlfriend brought it to my attention. Um, we pray regularly each week and she brought it to my attention last year about the uh, Armenian situation and, and how Australia had didn't recognise uh, the atrocities and I found that quite alarming and distressing as an Australian uh, that as a country that we we didn't recognize it and and my question is today is how do we how do we change that how do we um, you know recognize these atrocities um, so that we just don't push it under the carpet Good thoughts, good question here, Jane. Let's hear from Ashley Saunders. Yeah, thanks, Jane, for that question. One of the things that Barnabas Fund uh, is doing right now is uh, have we've launched a campaign that's about the Australian recognition of the Armenian genocide. And so in our uh, regular bi-monthly magazine that went out uh, in the last week or so, uh, there's an article about the situation in Armenia and there is a petition there that we're encouraging people to uh, to sign and, um, and and then send signed copies back to our office. It can also be signed online at uh, our website barnabasfund.org and uh, that is a petition that calls on the Australian government to recognise uh, the Armenian genocide. And, uh, and so uh, I've already had... Uh, some conversations uh, with uh, with some prominent people and others. So somebody yesterday said, why would we be worried about this 100 years after the event? And I gave the same sorts of explanations I've given this morning, that it really is important. And in terms of prominent people, uh, there are some uh, members of parliament and senators who are really wanting the government to, to recognise the Armenian genocide. And I'd just simply encourage you and other listeners to go to our website or to sign the paper petition and, uh, and let's, um, uh, let's show the Australian government that there are people who are really concerned that we need to recognise this atrocity. Jane, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a quick call just before news. Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hi, Jonathan. Yeah, hello, Neil. Jonathan, need to be you quick. Know, uh, 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 yes, I, I listen to what a speaker is saying. You know, biblically, from the time to time, it is the Christian belief, or is what Jesus said, that we had to go through this suffering. So I'm not against what he's saying for the government to recognize it. Whether the government recognize it or not, we, the Christian, the educator that we need to come together than ever before. Because even if government recognizes it, but they are in weaker power, they, they, whether they recognize it, what are they going to do about it? They don't do anything about it. If they recognize it that it happened in the past, Jonathan, anything. you have made a good point. Before we go any further, just before the news, we did take a call and uh, our uh, caller uh, from Western Australia 
uh, he uh, he made some comments, Jonathan, and of course with his African heritage, it was reflecting on Christians and suffering. I didn't want to leave that issue unattended here. Ashley, as Jonathan called in and made those connections there, what were your thoughts about Christians and suffering and the sorts of things he was sharing? Uh, he, he's dead right that the fact of recognition or not recognition of atrocities uh, will not impact the fact that uh, we will suffer in this life. Um, but at the same time, it is important, I think, for uh, for communities and for national governments to recognise what has happened in the past, to call it out, to face the truth. In terms of Christians and suffering, I mean, it was even Jesus who said, uh, in this life you will have suffering. Uh, he said, if they've persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And so we were warned, I guess for many of us who've lived in uh, Western countries uh, all of our life, who've uh, in the past experienced, in, in a sense, uh, that, that we as Christians were in the centre of community, uh, we've not known what it was to be on the edges of community. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, and uh, let me share with your listeners, the encouraging accounts that we hear from Christians who suffer oppression or persecution because of their faith. You know, they rarely ask us to pray that the persecution will stop. Uh, what they most commonly ask us to pray is that they will be faithful in the face of persecution. And uh, they know that their faithfulness testifies powerfully to the claims of Jesus Christ. And they ask us to pray for their persecutors, that they, like Paul and many others, would come to see the error of their ways and would come to bow their knee to Jesus Christ as their Saviour and Lord. And so this, this message, I guess, this morning, yes, it can be confronting, but it can also be encouraging. Uh, again, from a biblical worldview, we are assured that we will not face anything in this life that we are not able to face uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within every Christian. And therefore, whatever the future holds, we should be confident, not in who I am, um, I'm not anybody's saviour, our government is not our saviour, but we can be confident in who Jesus is and we can live in this life confident in that knowledge, whatever may come. Having said that, that doesn't take away from uh, the first point, that is, it is important for there to be truth. It is important for there to be justice. It is important uh, for us as uh, citizens of Australia to call on our government to recognise uh, what happened all those years ago to the Armenian population. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Chris in Melbourne. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Good day, Neil and uh, guest. Um, yeah, I just think um, we should get our Jewish brothers involved. And we have one right up the top, uh, Mr. Frydenberg. Um, if it's important to remember the Holocaust, then it's uh, important that we um, remember the Armenian genocide and um, uh, the Jewish um, people should uh, be willing to support this. Uh, Ashley Saunders, your thoughts for Chris? Uh, yes, it's important for all sectors of uh, our society to to recognise uh, what has happened. And um, speaking personally, uh, our, if my personal experience was that uh, I have suffered, uh, I ought to be more keenly aware of the suffering of others. And so I think that uh, that personal reflection applies to your uh, comment, Chris, and, uh, and therefore we call on all sectors of the Australian society to support the campaign that Barnabas Fund is now running to recognise 
the, the Armenian genocide. And I might add to that that there are Jewish groups in Australia that even drew my attention to this uh, late last year, uh, the way that Jewish groups in Australia actually want to support the Uyghurs and under the persecution they're suffering at this time in China. And now the interesting thing is there, everyone knows the conflict uh, that happens between the Islamists and the Jews, uh, the idea that the Islamists want to wipe out the Jews. So it doesn't seem to be uh, all that much common sense, and yet this is where it is especially important that the Jewish community is drawing attention to the dreadful atrocity that's happening with the Uyghur people in China. Uh, So were the Jewish people very aware of that. Chris, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. David is on the line in Perth. Hello, David. Welcome. Yeah, good morning to you both. Uh, how are you this morning? Very well, David. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts um, turn to a, an author who's um, very uh, knowledgeable about this uh, uh, Armenian uh, conflict. It's the book is called The Glitly in the Road to Jerusalem by uh, Kelvin Crombie, um, who did um, a very uh, substantial work over there. Page 35 talks about the Armenian um, persecution and it gives a, a great background in history to the lead up to the Armenian persecution. But my point is that um, we need to uh, start doing the fight to put this sort of book as a textbook as history in our schools so that um, following up to the last call's um, talk is that uh, we need the support of the community and the only way we can get the um, support and the emotions of the community along is is to make it um, in the school and make it part of our our lives and curriculum Um, and this is a great way to have a textbook like this to come into to the schools. Uh, David, great thoughts. Let's get a comment from Ashley Saunders. Yeah, thanks, David. I'm not familiar with that book. Uh, I am familiar, however, with um, a book called Surviving the Forgotten Armenian Genocide. Uh, That's a book um, uh, for which uh, our founder, Patrick Sukadeo, wrote the foreword, and um, it's a book that's available from our website. Uh, That's a personal account of uh, one person's story, and it's just so moving. And uh, so whether it's uh, that one that I've just mentioned or, or others, uh, it is important, I think, for people uh, who are able to have access to these resources to read and become more aware of what's happening. I, I, think, uh, I think there's something powerful in becoming more aware of uh, different circumstances, not only here in Australia, but in other countries. Uh, David, before I let you go, uh, say the name of the book uh, written by Kelvin Crombie just one more time uh, for listeners. And uh, uh, what was the name of the book you were referring to? Okay, it's uh, Gallipoli, The Road to Jerusalem, and they have um, links to Bridges for Peace, which is a uh, Christian organisation which helps... um, Bridges for Jewish organisations. So um, if you go to Bridges for Peace, um, their website might uh, also come up with it, but um, you do a search for Kelvin Crombie. Uh, He's actually here in West Australia, um, a really good author, spent 25 years in Jerusalem. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Uh, David, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. And I might mention that I've had Kelvin Crombie on as a guest uh, quite a number of times. And uh, 
what an amazing wealth of information he is. And I can just say for listeners, if you're looking for Kelvin Crombie books and Gallipoli, The Road to Jerusalem, and I just missed that uh, when David mentioned that the first time, but that is one of his popular books. It's available in the Vision store. You can find that at vision.org.au. And Patrick Sukdeo is the book that you mentioned, uh, Ashley. And, uh, of course, he's uh, at, at the helm of uh, of. Barnabas Fund and has written some absolutely outstanding material and so keep your eye out for those sorts of things. The bigger question that comes to mind out of talking about those authors who are reflecting on the history is that oftentimes there are history books that arrive into the classroom that have a revised history. This revisionism is something that is rife in Western society, depends on who's in power as to whose history is being taught in the classroom. And oftentimes we're actually you know, under the impression that what's being taught in the classroom is very often coming from what we call the left. Uh, your thoughts here on history, Ashley, and how that perhaps is one of the ways uh, to address some of the issues about what we think about these genocides. History is very important. It's also important, I think, to get a, a breadth of perspectives on history because sometimes it's the winner who writes the history, sometimes it's the loser uh, who writes the history, sometimes it's somebody with a particular uh, axe to grind. And so what I try to do is I try to read broadly, and, and this might seem to be off subject, but uh, let, let me give you an example. Uh, when I was uh, on a plane recently, I saw a movie, Qu uh, Mary Queen of Scots, and I was so uh, taken by what I thought were some of the historical inaccuracies uh, in, that, uh, in that movie that basically it was trying to put a 21st century culture into something that happened hundreds of years ago. Uh, as a result of that, uh, I bought two books, uh, one uh, the book on which that movie was based and a second one that was an older history and trying to read both of those histories to try to get for myself and use the hopefully discernment that God has given me to try and uh, read between those two to figure out uh, where where might the truth best lie. And so I would encourage people, yes, read history, uh, yes, get uh, different perspectives and, and by all means try to put it through the filter of a biblical worldview, of a gospel worldview. Uh, what, what I'm reading about, what, uh, how does who I am in Christ inform what I'm reading? Wonderful, wonderful insight, because when we're looking for that discernment that can come from God, an important way of being able to talk about that, and uh, sometimes people will use this other terminology, applying your own critical thinking to what you're reading. And uh, I'm, I'm with you on this, Ashley. Uh, don't be afraid to read something that isn't just uh, hasn't just got the imprimatur of the person who you think is your mentor or your uh, spiritual uh, leader uh, but uh, but actually be uh, you know uh, cautiously open to reading what others are saying so you can apply a biblical critical thinking to those things that you read taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's hear from Julie in Katanning in WA hello Julie welcome hello I've been listening to your radio on the way to work and I just had to ring and um, say I'm so glad that you've raised what happened to the Armenians. ...view of a couple of things that, are, that have happened <clears throat> close to Australia. For instance, in Sri Lanka, the Tamils were annihilated and n nobody said a word. Nobody, there was, I, I've, I've never heard anybody uh, raise that it's just been completely ignored. And then also what's happening in Papua New Guinea 
what the Indonesians are doing uh, and getting away with it and have been for some time. Again, nobody raises these things. So there are ugly things that happen and the best way to deal with it by the perpetrators and by our government and most governments is to ignore it, just like they did Alexander Solzhenitsyn when he raised what was happening in Russia. They ignored him and uh, it's a very potent weapon to ignore situations but I just thought I'd bring those to your attention that they, they've happened close to Australian shores in recent times in the last 20 years these things are happen, have happened and are happening still today. Julie wonderful insight there and a little clarity that uh, issue with to the north of Australia West Papua I think you meant to say a little different oh, well, to Papua yep. New Guinea but yes there's only a border Sorry, that separates yep. from but uh, yes Indonesia yep involved there yes. in what some are saying is ethnic cleansing. Your thoughts here yes. for, for Julie Ashley. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for drawing attention to recent events close to home. And uh, it, in a sense, reinforces the point. And that is that unless we're willing to uh, look at what's happening, unless we're willing to face the truth of the past, we're not actually able to um, have what I would call a prophetic um, presence in the uh, in the here and now, let alone to face the future. And uh, I guess the lesson for for governments, um, I mean, who am I to be um, trying to uh, pass on some uh, some lessons for government? But uh, my, what comes out of that, I think, Julie, is it's important for governments to have um, a broader view and a longer-term view, uh, not just to have a nearsighted view or to think about the next election, but in fact to, to have what you might think of as national interests and, uh, and and international interest and to have that more horizon view. I think that's very important for governments to do. Julie, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Not long left in our conversation. Uh, Interesting point that comes out of your response there, Ashley, about how governments might actually form a view on these things. And oftentimes we're taken up by the idea that uh, there's an ideological way that people who are elected into our parliaments, uh, they have to conform with that ideological view. Other times on issues that are not necessarily ideologically based, uh, the MPs are forming their opinions because the people in their electorates are informing them about what their concerns are. And uh, when we talk about the Armenian genocide here, and uh, for those who are just joining us, we started to reflect on this by saying that the Australian government doesn't at this point recognise the Armenian genocide. So how might we then have an influence that says this is an important thing to remember? What are your thoughts here for people and the power that they have when they do get in touch with their local MP to be able to alert them to the fact that there are historical things that have happened and there are consequences if we don't recognise that? Yeah, and by all means, uh, be in touch with your local MP. Uh, some of the local MPs federally uh, you will find uh, are already supportive of uh, government action to recognise Uh, the Armenian Genocide. Others uh, may not be so open. Uh, And I think it's important to to exercise your privilege. I'll call it a privilege, not not a right, but exercise your privilege um, as uh, a voter, as a citizen, to alert your MP to what your concerns are. Now, um, this might come as a surprise to some of your listeners, but for many MPs, especially lower house MPs, um, they're desperate to hear from their, their uh, electors. 
Uh, they want to know what their electors are thinking. Now, sometimes I might have, if, if I was an MP, I might have a formed view about something and I, I may not want my, my view to be challenged, but I, but I would still need it challenged. So even if it's uh, uh, an MP from a, a party that you don't support and you've never voted for, you think that that MP may not be with you uh, on the particular concern you've got, uh, exercise the privilege and try to get a meeting with that MP and try to convey that meeting. Uh, tr- try, to, tr- try to ensure that MPs not, don't just hear from the bubble, as it's commonly called, don't just uh, get caught up in what the, 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 the top news story is of today, but actually know what grassroots citizens like you and me, uh, what we're thinking and what we're concerned about. So I, I would simply encourage people to engage more with the political process through their representative. And I do want to get to this campaign that you're running at the moment and uh, a petition that you're asking people to sign. So for listeners who want to do something, uh, here's a way to get into the game and start to say, OK, I'm, I'm making some effort here. But we, we haven't necessarily been able to talk about the why uh, as to how our Australian government hasn't recognised the Armenian genocide. We're talking about one up to 1.5 million people here. Uh, and this happened uh, just before the Gallipoli landing. And so the dates are important here. I wonder if uh, we've got... A, 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 and we have to be fairly quick here, but Ashley, uh, the dates being so close to our Anzac Day, uh, take away some of the importance uh, when it comes to the public narrative. What are your thoughts here about how the Australian government may not be engaging with this because it falls so close to our Anzac Day? Well, certainly the 24th of April is the annual commemoration uh, of the Armenian Genocide. And so that's a very special day for uh, Armenian people to remember what happened all those years ago. And, of course, it's just the day before uh, Anzac Day. And so the, 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 the fact that, the, fact that the dates are so close, the fact that um, there are sensitivities about uh, Australia's relationship with Turkey in the context of uh, Gallipoli remembrances, um, I'm not in a position to, I guess, forecast why Australian governments... Um, are um, unwilling um, or feel unable to recognise the genocide. Uh, But I don't think it takes a stretch of the imagination to suggest that there are some international sensitivities involved in that. Uh, And I'm simply, uh, as a citizen, as the CEO of Barnabas Fund, heading up this campaign, simply calling on uh, Australians to um, take action so that our government uh, and our politicians know that this is a concern to many people around the country. Well, we might be heartened by the idea that our Prime Minister Scott Morrison was fearless in calling out the Chinese over the foundations of the COVID virus. Uh, He's been quite fearless in calling out Facebook over the issues around news uh, and uh, the use of Facebook here in Australia. So uh, we might not suspect that there would be uh, something that would keep the Prime Minister from that, but perhaps the encouragement to actually speak out in truth on behalf of the Armenian people so that we can recognise what's happened in the past and recognise what needs to be remembered because we want to learn the lessons of those from the past for our own future. Coming to the end here, Ashley Saunders, for people to sign this petition, 
Uh, no doubt they'll go to your website, barnabasfund.org, and then there's a forward slash AU there because it goes to a central website and you nominate the Australian site. Uh, how will it look when people go to the website and, uh, and, and want to sign this e-petition? And so on that uh, homepage, you will find uh, relatively near the top reference to the Armenian uh, genocide campaign, and there'll be a, a link there where you can click on sign the petition and that will take you directly to the page where you can enter your details and uh, they can be included. Uh, If people are interested in obtaining hard copy petitions to circulate at their church, for example, or amongst their other community groups of interest, uh, contact uh, our office and our contact details are on that web web page, barnabasfund.org, and uh, they can uh, use the contact details to contact our office here in Queensland and we'll happily send you uh, as many copies of that petition as you might need. And Barnabas Fund, one of those sources of wonderful resource to understand things that are going on around the world today and ways that you can participate in campaigns and do something useful, do something worthwhile and practical when it comes to issues of supporting the persecuted church. No doubt, Ashley Saunders, there will be financial needs. Uh, people can link with you, become a prayer partner. Uh, no doubt there'll be financial needs as well, and I hope there is a, uh, uh, you know, click on this button here to donate. Uh, I'm sure there is that opportunity when people go on to the Barnabas Fund website, and uh, make sure you're there on the Australian section of that website and and uh, do support financially the good work uh, that goes on with Barnabas Fund in their support of the persecuted church and they say from Christians to Christians through Christians the through Christians is people like you and I barnabasfund.org and uh, click on the Australian site on that Barnabas Fund website. Ashley Saunders, always great getting your insights. Thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. It's been a pleasure, Neil, and uh, good morning to your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.